Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. So I just want to say, first of all, that it's like it's super comforting uh, to be preaching today. And I'll tell you why. It's because um, only in the body of Christ do you, do you really see God's spirit working in such a way that I don't have to conspire with James to be preaching the same message. <laughs> like, that's God. Like, you look at the Bible and you see, like, all of these people that were they, were, they seem like they were conspiring, don't they? Because they just say all of these things that somehow magically line up with each other over centuries and, and millennia, but literally it was just God's spirit at work. And so Pastor James shared with us today about how, you know, um, the first thing is we got to believe from the heart. Right, And if we believe from the heart, we, we're saved and our identity has changed from a servant to unrighteousness to a servant to righteousness. And he talked about how after that, the soul is a reflection of our character and our emotions. And he even made a comment about Miles, one of my dear friends. I wholly agree. Uh, just that, Miles, the impact you've had on my life, brother, uh, seeing Christ in you, I, I can't say enough just about how you've exemplified the ministry for me. Um, but he also made this offhanded comment about uh, you know, oh, you know, we don't have time to study the soul and this and this. Uh, you know, do that later. Well, guess what? That's what we're doing right now. That's literally the message. Um, so praise God for that. And, uh, and then the next thing was, uh, you, know, uh, you know, he talked about how we have to yield. We have to be willing to obey. We have to be willing to, um, to say yes to God's word. And that's the next piece of our message today. I'm just telling you the whole message up front, okay? And then the last part, as he said that the end of this is fruit, we don't have, we're not servants to God because, because, even though, you know, that's an amazing privilege, but there is a desired outcome that God has that we should also have, which is fruit. Um, and so that's literally the message today. So I'm going to go ahead and sit down and we're going to, uh, can I have the worship team come up? And I'm just, I'm just kidding. But seriously, James already preached the message. And so I get the privilege of just kind of following uh, exactly what he said. But what we're going to do is we're going to flip the coin because... You know, on one side of the coin, we have the fact that, you know, we're servants to God, right? But how many of you remember what Jesus said? Um, I probably knocked something over. Uh, box of tissues. That was symbolic. That, that was part of the sermon. I don't know if you... That's, that's, there's something biblical to that. I, don't, I can't think of what it is right now. I'm just kidding. It's not, it was just completely happenstance. You get, you get that, right? Okay. Now I'm belaboring the point and the joke is going on. This is a joke. But seriously, guys, um, we're going to flip the coin because Jesus said, okay, you're servants, Right? But then he said, okay, but henceforth I call you no more servants. What are we? We're his friends. And so we're, we've talked about what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And we've, we've walked through that, that path in terms of our servanthood. But we're going to flip the coin and we're going to talk about just having a relationship with God. Having a friendship with, with, our, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Having, honestly, a marriage relationship between the, the, the church and Jesus Christ. That's what we have. And so... Today, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. So I have a question to start the, the conversation off. It's um, how many of you here today have heard the phrase uh, or the concept of it's not a religion, it's a relationship, bro? You guys heard that? Show me that slide. There's a slide about that. It's kind of funny. Can you, guys, can you guys just picture like you see this really cool Christian that's driving around? My brother's got a big old truck. I don't know where he's at, but I could just do see Dominic. He wouldn't be the one to do this, but he's got a big old truck. I could just, I'd just love to slap a... It's not, a, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But you got to add, bruh, um, to the end of that. And so, um, you know, that's so true, isn't it? That we have a relationship with God. And isn't that amazing? Um, isn't that amazing that we get to have a relationship with the living God? Um, but the, the problem is, and you probably caught my sarcasm a little bit there, is that we see all throughout Laodicean Christian bumper stickerdom that the, the same kinds of people making these statements about how it's really just a relationship exemplify what I can only describe as a dysfunctional relationship. It's very dysfunctional. And we don't really see a relationship that anybody in their right mind would want to have with God. Uh, oftentimes, and I, I'm not saying, I'm not throwing everybody under a bus to continue the vehicular analogies, but, but, but what I am doing is I'm, I'm just saying that there is, a, a, there is the real possibility of us making this grand claim that we have a relationship with God, not exemplifying that, and then nobody wants a relationship with our God. Um, but that's not only what we're going to be talking about today, because first and foremost, it is our relationship with God. So we're responsible with how we manage that. We're responsible with how we respond to God's love. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
And uh, yeah, you know, um, this is the problem that we're going to be addressing today. If it's really true that we have a relationship with God and not just religion, why does our relationship with God often look so dysfunctional? I think I've kind of already said that, but just like relationships have ups and downs, you know, like relationships aren't just, oh, peachy keen and there's no problems that we have to work through. We have some things to work through with God, don't we? There's some things day by day that we have, to, we have to weigh and that we have to work through if we're going to truly have a loving relationship with God. So that's really the focus of today's message. We're going to use uh, Mark 1230 as a, as a template for how we can approach God in love day by day. Um, and I, I'm just really excited to talk about this with you guys. Um, I just know that my life has already been impacted this week. I, you know, God's been transforming my life. And like that song says that we were just singing, it went from my brain down to my feet. And I started to love my wife a little bit better. And I started to love the Lord a little bit better because God's word has to have an impact on the way we live, right? So we need to go to the Lord because, man... Who here wants to have a dysfunctional relationship with God that you just feel frustrated and fruitless? Nobody. Nobody here wants that. And so let's go to the Lord and, and trust him to speak to us because uh, I need his help. And everybody here needs his help because none of us has a perfect relationship with God. All right, Lord, um, I just want to thank you again, God. Um, God, you know me inside and out. I, I think about what you say in your word about uh, Lord, just how you know every detail about who we are in Psalm 139, and, and, and yet how precious are your thoughts toward us. They are more in number than the sand. That's the love that you have for your people, God. It's a great love that we can't comprehend, and we honestly very often do a terrible job of reciprocating that and exemplifying it to the world, and God, that ought not be the case, and so God, in my life first and foremost, I, I ask that you just help me to have a more, a more pleasing relationship with you, God, that you would be happy, God, with our relationship. And, uh, God, that I would treat it like an actual relationship. And I pray the same for everybody here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So, the first thing we're going to do is talk about the heart. But before we do that, we should probably read the Bible verse, right? Like, that's really important, isn't it? You're supposed to say yes. That's the church thing to say. You're supposed to be like, yeah, of course that's important. I'm just kidding. All right, so Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. I think there's something to actually having a physical Bible and turning it. I, I'm not going to hold to that the whole time, but I just, I just like that. It's just fun, and it's just cool to have your hands. It says in 1 John 1, like, our hands have handled the word of life, right? So it's just so cool to have my hands on God's word. So uh, Mark 12, verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And I'm going to read that a few times throughout the sermon, and my, my hope is that, uh, you know, through the course of the sermon, that by the end of it, you just have it memorized, and it would be written on your heart, and start to impact the way that you live. All right, so I got an analogy. Who likes analogies? They're kind of ruined when you announce them, and you make them all formal, but, you know, that's my flesh getting in the way or something. Um, so when Connor and I... Did I knock over something again? This is going to be like a running gag or something. Um, when Connor and I first started dating, you know, we had a lot of apprehension and anxieties, and it wasn't because any of us, uh, either of us did anything wrong, right? So it wasn't as if, uh, you know, I was just mean to her and she was mean to me and we were apprehensive, right? It was honestly just because we just didn't know each other that well, okay? So in any, in any, in any relationship, say that five times fast... Um, you know, it takes time to get to know somebody, and that's a natural part of a relationship. You know, I knew facts about Connor. I, I knew she was beautiful. Um, you know, I, I, knew, I knew she played cello. I, um, you know, I knew she, she studied medicine. Um, but I didn't know if I could trust her in an intimate way. And again, that wasn't because she did anything wrong or I did anything wrong, right? It's just that it takes time to foster trust in our relationships, doesn't it? So over the course of many dates, we started to get to know each other better. But, you know, naturally in relationships, like, there's always going to be a challenge, right? So she was going, she's still finishing up medical school, by the way. We found out we're staying in Kansas City. So, yeah. But medical school's hard. <laughs> Sorry, back to the message. Um, medical school's hard. By the way, she got uh, U, uh, UMKC, and she's going to be at True Medical Center practically doing her residency there. So praise God. Um, and yeah, and I'm super proud of her. She's awesome, and she works super hard. Um, but yeah, so 
what was I saying? I was talking about relationships or something? <laughs> All right, so, oh yeah, so medical school is hard, and so is coding, so are coding boot camps, right, Romeo? Yeah, <laughs> okay, right, Amanda? Right, everyone else that's, yeah, done these things, yeah, they're difficult. So, so naturally, we had to work through doubts and concerns because we were both just doing a lot, and we were getting to know each other, but over the course of time, we grew to know each other better and better. We grew from a place of knowing facts about each other to where we really started to understand each other. And uh, eventually we went from a place of apprehension to a place of affection. Does this make sense? Are you following my, are you tracking with me here? So this didn't happen by accident. We planned dates. We spent time together. We overcame challenges and we had fun experiences. But you want to know what really helped uh, quench the apprehension? Getting married. (laughs) That probably sounds weird. You're probably like, wait, isn't marriage really hard and stuff? And okay, I hear you, but hear me out real quick. The reason why is because our trust wasn't any more conceptual and it wasn't any more just affectionate. We literally made the decision to entrust the rest of our physical lives to one another. And from that place of security, our trust is now able to blossom and grow in a way that it never could have if we were just dating. So, you know, we went from a place of uncertainty to a place of certainty. We're certain that we'll spend the rest of our our lives together, and so our love isn't just conceptual, it's very real. It's very practical, it's very day-to-day, right? And I can say with confidence that the more I grow to know who she is, the more I love her. And I'm just just really thankful for Connor. Um, She's my best friend, and I trust her with my heart more than any person in this room. If you're super spiritual, okay, I get that Jesus is a person. Okay, I trust Jesus more. All right, cool. But um, if the marriage relationship is only a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ, then there's got to be some spiritual reality we can glean from this, right? All right, cool. So in the same way that I had to get to know uh, more about who Connor was before I could really learn to trust her, each individual has to encounter God for his or herself to go from a place of apprehension to a place of affection. And from this place, they can truly place their faith in Jesus Christ, understanding the decision that they're making, right? Let's go to the next slide. Romans 10, 14 says... How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So let me give you this analogy. If I would have just walked up to Connor and said, Connor, will you marry me? Guys, that wouldn't have been cute. That would have been kind of creepy, right? <laughs> like, wouldn't that have been like just like, okay. So if that would have happened, uh, or let's, let me put it this way. If that happens anytime soon, uh, ladies, call, get a hold of your Bible study leader. Get a hold of your pastor. We need to have a conversation with somebody because this is weird. And so, seriously, people have, a, you know, an intuitive understanding in their hearts that there's a God, but they can't really get to know who God is, much less put their trust in him for all of eternity, until they've heard his word. And so let's go to Romans 10, 17, where it says, So then faith, which is kind of like trust in a relationship, it cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So over the course of time, people will go from this place of apprehension about God is to a place of affection, and the reality of who Jesus Christ is will be revealed to them. And over the course of time, we can pray and hope that this person will go from a place of insecurity to a place of security eternally. They'll go from a place of being afraid of being judged by God to a place of humility and desire when they start to get a glimpse of the glorious goodness of the person of Jesus Christ. Who here loves Jesus Christ? Who here has had a glimpse of our Savior and his love? I mean, it's amazing. And so we we want other people to get a chance to see that. And so in Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart, uh, man believeth, or he trusts God unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So you may have noticed that I left plenty of space in your notes. We're going to have a moment for each word where we just gather the information and write it down. But the reflection space is really for you because I can't help you with your relationship with God. You have to sit and you have to do the self-examination necessary to sit there and say, I'm not really trusting God in X, Y, or Z way. I can't read your mind. And so that's, that's a place for you to sit down and to reflect where are you actually at with your, with your faith in God's word and your trust in him. And so, with that, I want to say that we're going to see a progression throughout this message. There's a progression that you see in these four words in Mark 12:30. We have the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. And you see a, a progression from trust to a place of communication. And then you start to see that now we're willing to compromise. Now we're willing to obey God because we trust him and we've communicated our feelings to God. And then at the end of that, the result of that is that we're supposed to have a fruitful relationship with God. And so that's what we're really going to be talking about today. So, um, you know, but this all has to start 
with salvation because you can't say that you love Jesus Christ if you reject his son. You can't say that you want to love God or grow in your love for God if you've rejected Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 make it really explicit. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what God wants to give you. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him, this is the key part here, is not condemned. So if you've believed on Jesus Christ, you have entered into a loving relationship with a perfect husband who will never leave you or forsake you. That's God's heart for you. Okay, but what, what, what about if we reject him? But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, you know, what we see so clearly is that we can't ever please God or have a loving or right relationship with him if we do not accept the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. So we're going to look at some key takeaways here. It kind of occurred to me as we were coming in that not everyone's going to have the opportunity to see these well. So the key point that we're really zoning in on for the heart today is that loving God starts with belief from the heart. Belief from the heart, trusting God, growing in our trust in our relationship with him according to his word. And so the key word then, of course, is trust. And the key verses... Our Romans 10, 8 through 17, uh, we're not going to read the, ooh, look at that, I can amplify that, that's pretty cool, isn't it? If I want to make a really big point, I can be like, boom, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but Romans 10, 8 through 17 um, is a great passage, I would encourage you to read the whole thing, super great stuff, it's God's word, no kidding. Uh, John three sixteen through 18, uh, that's the other one, and so I'll give you guys a moment to write that down, that's uh, loving God starts with belief from the heart, the key word is trust. And the key verses are Romans 10, 8 through 17, and John 3, 16 through 18. All right, so if marriage is a picture of the relationship a believer obtains with Jesus, and our physical devotion is placed once and for all in our spouse through our vows, our trust in Jesus is placed once and for all by believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. But just like my analogy earlier about how placing my trust physically in Connor on our wedding day launched us into a place of security wherein a much deeper trust and intimacy could be fostered, the same is true for the believer. And so if the message is about how to love God day by day, then believing on Jesus Christ is only the beginning of a lifelong journey in growing in the love and the knowledge of God. Right? What began with apprehension, which blossomed into affection, and was sealed with saving faith is now a lifelong journey of growing in our love and our knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. When we, when we believe on him, we enter into a relationship with a perfect husband who will never leave us or forsake us. But it really isn't in, until we start living a bit, little bit of life that, uh, you know, we start to see that we got a lot of work ahead of us, right? There's a lot more growing to do in our relationship, you know? It's not like just because I got married to Connor, you know, now, oh, perfect trust has been fostered. We never have questions or disagreements, and we, uh, we do, we tiptoe through the tulips. Uh, what's the SpongeBob song? I'm going to make another SpongeBob reference, I'm sorry, later on. But there are ups and downs, there are things to work through. But the joy of it all is that we now have a relationship with God. Who here is thankful that you have a relationship with God? Right? And isn't that enough? However, that doesn't mean that's the end of the story. That's the start of a new journey uh, with the Lord, and... As we continue to trust in God, our faith in him will only continue to grow. We'll foster faith. And I'll tell you this, what's so cool is as you start to get to know the Lord, you start to see that his promises are actually true. Isn't that crazy? Like the things that were conceptual to you and the things that were just facts about who you thought God was, you'll start to see him paint the picture for you. In reality, even though God, you know, is a spirit, you'll start to see him You know, even in the body, like we were talking about earlier, God's at work in his body and he's proving out his promises in our life. And I think we'd all agree that that trust is absolutely crucial for a healthy relationship. But, you know, there's another crucial aspect to a relationship that without it, we will kind of like we talked earlier, we'll have a really dysfunctional relationship. So like everyone agrees, right? Trust, trust is is a good part of a relationship. You need to trust each other, right? But the next part is so crucial because if you don't have this, it kind of hurts the trust even. You start to, you start to question you know, each other and, and the motivations and stuff like that. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the soul. So how many of you have ever been in a, a situation where you knew something was wrong in a relationship, but you didn't say anything? You just kind of held on to it, right? Has that happened to you? 
Um, maybe just something just didn't feel right. Maybe you didn't even know if something was wrong. It just, you know, something just didn't feel right. Maybe, uh, you know, something bad happened in a relationship in your family, and, you know, instead of addressing it, you just kind of swept it under the rug. You didn't necessarily forgive, but you didn't really forget, and you're still kind of holding on to something, all right? Another thing that can happen in long-term friendships or, or even in marriage is you can get so close to someone that, you know, you can start to take them for granted. I think this is true for everyone in here because we all have families. Same thing is true for families. You can start to take them for granted. So I actually just want to take a moment to say, I love you, family. And, uh... I don't know what you're doing for lunch, but let's talk about it later. All right. Uh, that's my flesh coming out, my, be- my belly gather. So we just can get used to the fact that they're there and forget to say thank you. And, you know, the word that comes to mind for me in all of these different situations is communication. Right? Communication. It's almost like kind of annoying to hear it. It's like, oh, yeah, that word. Thanks. Communication. And, but it's often the key factor that determines how we feel about a relationship. Right? how we feel the relationship is going. And it, when it comes to loving God with our souls, emotions are absolutely key, right? Emotions, when left bottled up and unaddressed, can become extremely confusing and even extremely damaging in a relationship. Some of the most damaged relationships are a product of unresolved conflicts, unspoken yearnings and pain. You never actually told the person how you felt or what you wanted. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, naturally, we have to learn to be honest with him. What an amazing revelatory concept that the God who is a perfect and loving husband actually wants to hear how we feel, and he doesn't want to throw us under the bus. I'll just keep, again, these vehicular analogies. Where does that even come from? All these vehicles in my head. But, you know, that's not what God wants to do. He loves you. He's excited to hear from you. He wants to hear from you, right? And so, you know, when it comes to loving God with our souls, Emotions are absolutely key. Um, you know, um, how many of you here use Blue Letter Bible? That might seem like a curveball, but yeah, a lot of people here use that. Have you guys ever heard of uh, Bible Analyzer? That's, that's for the super Bible nerds. Like, you got to be like, there's like nerddom, like there's the triangle or whatever. What's the triangle? And then like, there's the peak that like the person's like floating. And you guys know the meme I'm talking about? Some, that my sister knows. Thank you, sister. My own flesh and blood. Of course you know. Um, so Bible Analyzer lets you search a word. Let's look at that, uh, that ugly-looking graphic. Thanks. All right, so the mentions of soul. It's not really... Uh, so what I'm kind of showing you here is this is actually just a picture of uh, the first however many books of the Bible mentions of soul. So when you get to the book of Psalms, you see the soul is mentioned ridiculous number of times, right? What does that make you think in your head? For me, that makes me think, man, there's something God's communicating to me about the soul in the book of Psalms. And... What's that? Soul music. Soul music. Yeah, that's what God was telling me. He was saying, listen to more soul, brother. That's what God was telling me. Um, no, but in all seriousness, the word soul is mentioned, uh, I think, more than three times more than in any other book in the Bible. So what that means is the, the soul is all over the book of Psalms, right? And so, um, you know, the Psalms sit right in the middle of the Bible. Some of you have heard that, you know, the Bible is God's love letter to man, Right? It's how God has, has chosen to speak to human beings. But we have to drill down on communication and understanding that communication has to be two-way. Right? Communication is never just one way. Right? And so for those of us who are saved, it's, it, this might sound sacrilegious, but it's actually not enough that, we, that he speaks and we listen. I get that you sound super spiritual and you're like, you know, God spoke and so now I'm just quiet and I'm just here. That's, that's cool. That's cool. But check this out, you know. He wants a healthy relationship with us, doesn't he? And he wants to know how we think or feel. And that's why there's literally an entire book in the Bible of poems and songs written to God expressing emotion and desire and frustration and concern and even doubts. And just like it would be, you know, completely dysfunctional in my marriage if I was like, you know, hey, Connor, blah, 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 blah. And then Connor was like, uh-huh. She actually does make that noise, but she, but this is, that's, this isn't a real example. It's just, she goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. And if I just kept doing that to her, that would be a really funny skit, but it would also be dysfunctional, right? Because at some point, I need to know how she feels. I want to know what she's thinking, right? I want to in- interact with my wife. And so let's look at Psalm 142, 1 through 3. It says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint 
before him. I showed him before him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. And so that's, that's really just a picture. I'm trying to give you pictures of communication to God. Let's look at another picture, Psalm 42, 9. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Right? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You know, and I think some of us here, again, this maybe the super spiritual bunch, will we'll look at this and say, you know, I don't even know why that's in the Bible. Because, you know, the psalmist is just complaining and being, you know, and wow, you know, the psalmist just crossed the line. And, you know, let me ask you a question. <laughs> let me ask you a question. What kind of loving husband in this world, when his wife comes to him saying she feels broken, frustrated, and forgotten, despises her? You know, and if we then being evil know that that's not a good and loving husband, who do you think God is? Who do you think our Savior is? And yet some of us are not willing to go to God and tell him how we actually feel and what we're actually going through. We pretend like his word is not the, you know, the, the thing that divides between soul and spirit and the thing that, that discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. And we try to hide our emotions from God when his word is a light that reveals truth. And he, he already knows the truth. It reminds me of when you know, Jesus heals Lazarus, but, but he still cries right? He, he, he just felt emotion because he loved Lazarus. It didn't, he knew the facts. That wasn't the problem. He wanted a relationship, and he wanted restoration in that relationship, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29 makes this so clear. Uh, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No one's holding it back from you but you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest for your souls. Here's another key verse. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we should humble ourselves before God. And in verse 7 he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So here's the takeaway. I mean, seriously, for some of us, this is actually our, our key takeaway for today. Jesus cares about how you feel. Some of you just need to get that down, honestly. He cares about what you're going through. He understands what you're going through more than anyone. So before you go to your spouse or your Bible study leader, or your pastor, or your discipler, have you ever thought about taking it to the only perfect husband in all of the universe and tell him how you feel? Yeah. Right? No relationship can stay healthy if the wife refuses to share her thoughts and feelings with her husband. And if, if she were to do that, we would know that something's off. We would know that there's a trust problem in the relationship, wouldn't we? And we know from earlier that, you know, trust is fostered by listening to God. And so it could simply be that you're just not listening to God. I get that. Like, you might just not be listening to God's word. But we can foster a trust in him by reading his word. By the way, that'll help us to understand that he actually wants to hear from us, right? If we get to know the person and the character of Jesus Christ, of course we'll want to take our prayers to him. Of course we'll want to bring our burdens to him. But anyone who reads the Psalms knows that the story can't simply end at the communication of concern or feeling, right? You may have heard it uh, said in this ministry that that transparency is never the goal, right? So the goal isn't just we go and blah, 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 you're infinite, so you can take my, you know, my my blabbings. Okay, there's, there's, you know, we got to balance this whole thing out, don't we? Because we're not just going to God and yelling at him. You may have heard it said, um, you know, transparency is never the goal. Um, That's me reading the same sentence or idea. You like that? Maybe God really wanted you to hear it again. Um, but, you know, um, we don't do that. And I hope, uh, sorry, I'm just getting uh, tripped up now. So instead, the, the journey that we see in the Psalms is, is a journey from brokenness and honesty and communication to restoration. I'll say that again. So the journey we see in the Psalms frequently is from brokenness and honesty and communication unto restoration. So the goal isn't just to get our feelings out. There's a goal in mind. Just like the goal of our relationships with God, the goal is fruit. There's a goal in our our communication that we want to be restored unto a right faith and a right fellowship with God. This is not just any kind of restoration, but a restoration to a renewed faith and a remembrance of just who our God is. The picture would be like this, all right? So the, the, the wife goes to the husband and she says, you know, I'm having a hard time keeping up with work and and I'm having a hard time keeping up with the kids, and I'm having a hard time keeping up with dishes, and this, and this, and this, and honestly, I just feel overwhelmed. And the husband says, honey, I'm here for you. I'll take care of it. I'll shoulder your burden. Let me help with the kids. Let me help with the dishes. And through this interaction, 
The wife is reminded of the man she, uh, the man she married who is faithless. Uh, I'm sorry, faithful. That would be bad. <laughs> that would be, woo, that's big curveball here. Uh, we're actually going to be reading from, no, I'm just kidding, some other book, Lord of the Rings today? No. I just like completely go off the rails. Um, so she's reminded of the man she married who is faithful and selfless, and her heart rejoices, and her emotional strength is renewed, and she's ready to continue to move forward. And you know what's funny is you might even, you might even see in this interaction something like, and just so you know, this is not a real interaction or example, but it's a, it's a picture that is just so naturally flowing from the idea of relationships. She might say something like, you know, I, I was just feeling overwhelmed, and actually I can do the dishes. Can you still help with the kids, right? And you start to see that in this interaction, because trust is renewed, because there has been emotion that's been communicated, and each party feels respected and loved, they're able to move forward. So in our relationship with God, when we cast our cares upon him, and when we turn to his word and we place our trust back in his word, our soul is restored, and we feel compelled to pour out praise and remembrance of who he is, and remembrance of the man who gave himself for us, of the man who will never leave us or forsake us, of the man who shoulders our every burden, he knows our every need, and he's no stranger to our pain, he's no stranger uh, even to our sin, he knows our sins. And not only that, the Bible says he was willing to become our sins, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have a high priest who knows our infirmities, amen? Amen. So let's look at the key takeaways for the soul. When it comes to the soul, the key point is, Loving God with our soul sounds like something. It's not just a concept. Loving God with our soul sounds like prayer and praise. All right? And the key word for soul is communication. I'll say that all again. Loving God with our soul sounds like prayer and praise. Key word is communication. And there's some key uh, passages. 1 John 1, the whole, the whole chapter. Matthew 11, 28 through 29. And 1 Peter 5, 7. That's 1 John 1, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, and 1 Peter 5, 7. So why is our communication often so poor with the Lord then? Maybe because we approach God with two mouths and one ear. <laughs> we read a couple Bible verses and we're like, cool, God, now listen to me for 20 minutes. Right? Or maybe we're afraid to share our emotions because we think God wants to judge us for our sins because we've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten that he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And we think the right thing to do is to suck it up instead of getting right with our, with, our, with our husband, right? But in a relationship, failing to communicate never just harms the individual bottling it in, does it? A relationship, by definition, involves two parties. And you can never work through an issue if you're not willing to bring it to the light. We're going to do a flyby of 1 John. In verse 3, it says that our fellowship is with the Son, Jesus Christ, Okay. So then in the next passage in 6 through 10, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying. (laughs) All right, that's my, that's the, what is it, D-I-V, David International Version? Connor jokes about that, it's funny. Uh, We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, do you guys see what's going on here? This isn't about whether we have a relationship with God. This is talking about whether we have a right relationship with God. And the word that John uses to, biblically to define this for us is our fellowship with God. So the state of our fellowship is, is largely determined by whether we're willing to be honest with God and uh, tell him how we feel and confess our sins. Uh, let's look at Mark 12.30 again because we're going to uh, turn towards the mind. Man, I keep doing that. I don't know. It's like when all you got left is, is, your, is your mustache. You just got to kind of, you know, some of you guys like to just comb your hair. I just like to, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. All right, the mind. So we've talked about trust. We've talked about communication, and these things are crucial. But we know that relationships are kind of complicated, right? We can't just love God with our hearts and, and you know, love him with our, our emotions and, and then stop by telling him how we feel. Because we have to be willing to, to hear how he feels. And uh, you might say, well, I already trusted his word. I already know what his word says. You know, I don't need to hear how he... Oh, don't say that. But, you know, there's actually more to the story. One of the uh, other key components to any marriage relationship, but also to all kinds of relationships, is our willingness to humble ourselves and compromise. I, uh, I don't like giving massages. 
You guys are like, what are you talking about? My first job was to do that, okay? This is a true story, all right? My, my first job, I worked for, for a chiropractor, and I had to go around and, and give screening massages to lure people into the honest world of chiropractic. <laughs> now, this isn't, my, my sermon today is not a slant on chiropractic. I believe it has a place, and it's helpful, and it's good. But I'm being, this particular scenario that I was in, you know, I had to give people massages to tell them that their back was messed up or whatever. Um, I don't want to get into details, but in short, I don't really like rubbing sweaty strangers' backs, okay? So, um, and I, uh, I just also didn't like the wear and tear on my hand. And so naturally, when I got married to Connor, uh, you know, the, the damage from my past reemerged. And she's, of course, she likes massages. Who doesn't like massages, right? And I'll, <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I'm not the perfect loving husband that Jesus is, and so I'm not always eager uh, to give massages. It brings back the pain. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I want to do it because I know it pleases her and it makes her happy. Amen? Right? We make compromises in relationships because we have to be willing uh, to compromise and, and see the other person pleased. You know, in the world, compromise is often about what you get out of something, right? But in a marriage relationship and in, in our relationship with God, we don't just go to the God, go to the God. We don't just go to God and ask for something so we can get something out of it, right? We want what He wants. And so, you know, obviously, you might say, okay, why compromise? Because we're talking about our relationship with God, right? Why the word compromise? And, you know, making compromises with God or compromising his word is a pretty terrible concept that I don't really want to communicate. So let's move on from that analogy. And let's talk about the real word, which has to do with obedience. Okay? In our relationship with God, it's really more about obedience. In the context of marriages, you know, you, know, you, you love and you value the person to such a degree. You'd rather win them and, you know, see them pleased. Um, but, you know, in this context with God, we really just need to obey his word. So let's turn to um, Matthew 26, 38 through 30, uh, Matthew 26, 38 through 39. Yeah, that's the passage. All right, so, um, and actually, I apologize. Um, it's actually going to be on the screen, too, so you don't have to turn there. We're going to read uh, 38 through 39 and ver- verse 42 as well. It says, uh, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And so in verse 42, we see him go to the father again. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And so, you know, for Jesus... Even if it meant drinking the Father's wrath over our sins, if it was God's will, it had to be done. But with Jesus, you see that not only does he have a right relationship with God, but it turns to a right relationship with others. And so it wasn't just that he wanted to please the Father, but also that there was joy that was set before him. He was thinking about you and I. He was thinking about us. He wanted to purchase our souls. He loves us very much. We see this in Philippians 2, 7 through 8. Philippians 2, 7 through 8, which is really going to be kind of the key text for us when it comes to the mind, because we want to have the mind of Christ, which is what this passage is about. So in Philippians 2, 7 through 8, it says, Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and here's the key word, and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. So there was no line that was too far for Jesus to say, I just can't do that. He said, no, I'll, I'll take this to the cross. If, if that's what it takes to win you, I will go to the cross. That was Jesus' heart for us. While we were yet in our sins and enemies of God in our minds, Jesus had already made up his mind beforehand that he was going to lay down his life for us. This, is what, this was a decision he made up front, regardless of the fact that many, including his own, would reject him. And, you know, the text, this is what blows my mind. The text literally demonstrates that, you know, in in terms of how Christ lived his life, we weren't just worth it. We were better than him. Now, that doesn't even make any sense because we know that that's not true. We know we're not better than God, right? And my flesh dwells no good thing. There's, There's nothing in me that's worthy of the love of the living God, much less that he would give his life in a brutal and a shameful death on the cross. But because of how highly Jesus esteemed the worth of his souls... He gave up his life for us in love. 
So, you know, we, we, we want to have a trusting relationship. We want to have communication in our relationship with God. So then where do we move from that place? If Jesus made up his mind beforehand that he would become sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, then are we willing to make up our minds beforehand that our loving Savior's word is worthy of our obedience? And I'll say that again because I get that that's kind of a mouthful. You know, if Jesus made up his mind beforehand, in the off chance, he knew which ones of us would, but it was all still in our free will, wasn't it? Each one of us had to make the decision to serve Jesus Christ, to receive Jesus Christ. If he was willing to do that before we ever received him, are we willing to make up our minds beforehand that his word is worthy of obedience? If while we were enemies of God, he was willing to offer his life, is it not then reasonable that after we've received him and we're in this marriage relationship with him, that whatever his word says, that settles it? The application is simple. He set the stage. He set the example. Regardless of what it cost him, he was willing to obey and lay down his life. And so if we have eyes to see his goodness, just like he had eyes to see us even when we were disobedient, we will be humbled and we will make the decision up front that we will do what we, I'm sorry, we'll make the decision up front of what we are willing and not willing to do so that the gospel can be furthered and so that he can be glorified. 2 Corinthians 10.5, this is the key verse for this passage for us. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So James touched on this earlier. We have to be willing to decide up front that any of our thoughts, opinions, behaviors, hobbies, priorities that are getting in the way of the furtherance of the gospel need to be put aside for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to say this again. You know, we have to be willing that our thoughts, what we think, our opinions, our behaviors, our hobbies, our priorities, what we value in this life, if it's getting away in the way of the furtherance of the gospel, we have to be willing to set it aside. That doesn't mean we won't struggle. We see this in Christ, right? He goes to the Father not once but twice. I think he even goes again in one of the other gospels. I, I don't know for sure. But you see the same thing with Paul, right? Paul asks three times. So this doesn't mean we're not going to struggle, But at the end of the day, do we have it settled in our hearts that he's worth it and that we are willing to offer up our lives to reciprocate the fact that he laid down his? So we're going to look at the key takeaways for the soul. I'm sorry, for the mind. Loving God with our mind requires crucifying ourselves in obedience to the cross. Loving God with our mind requires crucifying ourselves in obedience to the cross. The key word is obedience. The key verses are there, Philippians 2, 7 through 8, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, John 12, 24. I'll say the verses one more time. Philippians 2, 7 through 8, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, John 12, 24. So, you know, I think that part of the reason we fail to obey is because we, we're, we're in this mode of self-preservation. We think there's something that's going to be lost, right? We think if we compromise in our relationships or if we obey God, we're going to actually lose something. And, you know, it wasn't very different for Jesus in terms of the appearance of the event because to others, not to Jesus, but to, in the appearance of the event to his disciples and everyone else, you know, you see Jesus' death on the cross. Hell was probably pretty excited. Factions in the world system were pretty excited. And the disciples were distraught. They saw it as the ultimate blow to their relationship that Jesus died. But how many of us know that Jesus' death wasn't the end of our relationship with God? It was only the beginning. And it's made way for much fruit. John 12, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Some of us, we're we're sheltering sheltering ourselves from God. We're abiding alone when he wants to be with us. He's for us, and he wants to bring forth much fruit through us. But we need to die. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I think this goes back to what James was saying, you know. Um, We need to be willing to admit if we're just not yielding, right? If we want to yield fruit, we have to yield. Our willingness to die and agree with God is not what kills our relationship with him. It's the very thing that makes way for the intended result, fruitfulness, And fruit is the key word that we're going to be sticking to for our study on strength, if you want to fill in the blank early, if you're one of those people. All right, strength. Mark 12, 30 again. So, we got to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. That's trusting God. That's communicating with God. That's um, obeying, being willing to obey. 
And then finally, we're talking now about strength. The core pillars of any physical relationship, namely trust, communication, and compromise, or in the case of our relationship with God, obedience, are, are so vital. And to illustrate these points, we've, we've talked about how these things look practically. We read his word. We get to know him. And that fosters trust. Praying and praising and right fellowship is part of our communication with God. And confessing and telling him how we feel. And deciding up front to side with his word because he's worth it. And that sets us up for success in our relationship, but also in its outcomes. So how does strength come into play? Let me put it this way. Before you and Jesus tied the knot, he already told you. He wanted to start a family. Yo, right? Like, you guys already talked about this. Why Why are you acting all put out about it now? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So Hebrews 2 says, Jesus gave his life so that many sons would be brought to glory. 1 Corinthians says, I've begotten you through the gospel, right? 1 Thessalonians 2.7, he says, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Yo, is that Tyler? Dude, what's up, man? How are you? I love you, bro. Um, so to make the connection between our passage and these scriptures, it blew my mind. God, guys, uh, God's word is just so cool, isn't it? Um, and Genesis 4 is the first mention of strength in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain is identified as being a tiller of the ground, whereas his brother Abel is identified as a keeper of the sheep. A sheeper of the keep. I'm just kidding. Uh, Cain was a hard worker, and Abel was a faithful keeper. The Bible says that God will not be mocked. Whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. So over the course of time, the outcomes of their relationships with God brought forth the fruit that reflected the nature of their sowing. In other words, what you put in is what you're going to get out, right? You put it in the spirit, you reap in the spirit. You put it in the flesh, you reap in the flesh. Let's go to Genesis 4, uh, verses 3 through 12. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And this is going to picture Cain bringing forth the best we can do in the flesh. Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. This is going to picture for us the believer relying on Jesus Christ for the results. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. I want you to notice, Cain has emotions, doesn't he? Bless you. I want you to notice, Cain has emotions, doesn't he? But what we notice is that he doesn't take it to God. Just like in the garden, he runs away, and then God has to come running after him, because God wants relationship. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Uh, And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So God gives Cain the answer, but what we find is, just like when we talked about the mind and obedience, um, Cain did not settle in himself up front that when God spoke, he would receive that and move forward in faith. He waited till he was in the middle of his circumstance, when everything was feeling terrible, and then he made the decision, hmm, do I want to obey God? Right? That's not how we treat our relationship with God, is it? I don't wait until, like, um, you know... um, Elden Ring comes out to decide if I'm going to sink 60 hours into it. Who here knows what Elden Ring is? No, I decided up front I was going to sink 60 hours into Elden Ring because I'm carnal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) That wasn't what you were expecting. That was a curveball, wasn't it? Um, No, but seriously, we don't wait until we get in a car wreck or until someone we know is hurting or someone we know is sick and then decide if we're going to follow Christ. We decide up front, we make up our mind beforehand, and when God confronts us with his word, we say, Lord, I know who you are. We foster trust. I've told you how I feel, and, you know, I saw that you were willing to do anything for me. If this is what it takes to be right with you, I have decided up front that I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to trust you through this. Cain didn't do that. And so what, what, what happens? What's the fruit that comes out of it? He kills his brother. And from this, we see that a wrong relationship with God doesn't just hurt our fellowship with God. It hurts our brothers and sisters. And it hurts the lost, too. We'll get to that. And so, you know, the Lord comes to him. Where's your brother? What have you done? And this is crazy. In verse 12, it says, When thou tillest the ground, because of what you've done, God says this, When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her thee her strength. The ground will no longer yield unto you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond thou shalt be in the earth. So just in review, you know, Cain brings forth the fruit of the ground and the earth uh, and offers that to the Lord. And this picture is us doing the best we can do in our flesh, right? 
And, you know, the fruit being brought forth of the ground shows that this was an earthly fruit, out, uh, an outcome wrought by uh, the flesh rather than by God through his spirit. The outcome is that the Lord does not respect his offering. And instead of humbling himself and, and being honest with God or, you know, working through it, he grows angry, which only served to f- further mar his relationship with God. And, you know, when God spoke, he hadn't made up his mind beforehand that he was willing to compromise or, you know, obey in the context of our relationship with God to move forward. And so it yields terrible results. The outcome was tragic. Instead of bringing forth good fruit, Cain kills his own brother. And, you know, God curses the fruit that the ground yields from Cain's labor. And so for us, what do we take from that? Because that's just a lot of information if we don't make application. The picture couldn't be any more clear When we try to bring about God's results without God and the power of our flesh, the results will be meager at best and horrific at worst. Absolutely horrific. And you know, in the context of our relationship with God, trying to bring about his results without a unified and loving relationship with him goes against its very purpose. It's a relationship, right? From the beginning of the human race, God simply loved humankind. He wanted a relationship. But the commission from God was always that humankind would be fruitful and multiply. But in order for this to take place, two people have to be at the same place at the same time with a unified mind and a unified purpose. I'll say it again. In order for fruitfulness to take place, two people have to be at the same time, I'm sorry, at the same place at the same time with a unified mind and a unified purpose. For those of you who are like, what the heck are you talking about? Let me put it to you this way. Uh, Adam and Eve, they would have never been able to be fruitful and multiply if Adam was watching Seinfeld and Eve was doing paint by numbers by the cherry tree, all right? Like, nothing would have happened. There wouldn't have been any fruit, right? They would have had some cool Seinfeld quotes, and she would have had a cool painting to show him, but other than that, they wouldn't have accomplished the purpose God had for them, would they have? They had to come together in love, and, you know, Jesus talks about this in the context of our relationship with him in John 15, verses 4 through 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye. You can't do it. You need me, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That's a promise. So we have to evaluate, is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives? Is there fruit? Because if not, we're not obeying. For without me, you can do nothing. So again, unless we're at the same place at the same time with Jesus, and the seed of the word of God is being cast forth... We're never going to see the fruit that God intended for our relationship with him. I would encourage you to check out Psalm 127. I would say the whole thing's about that. Check it out. So unless we are at the same place at the same time with our husband, unified in the same purpose, with the same mind, we will never see the fruit that God desires and intended to come out of our relationship with him. But when we have a relationship with God built on trust, a fellowship with him, that's fostered through honesty and brokenness and prayer and in praise, a mind to agree with God for the love of his son and his faithful word, this is not a grievous thing. It's the natural outcome of an intimate walk with our loving husband, Jesus Christ. Amen? The key takeaways for for strength. Loving God with our strength looks like presenting our bodies and relying on God. I'll say that again. Loving God with our strength looks like presenting our bodies and relying on God. And we'll explain what that means. That might sound kind of odd. There's a verse reference for that. Um, the key word is, is fruit. And the key verse is John 15, 4 through 5, and Romans 12, 1. That's John 15, 4 through 5, and Romans 12, 1. So right in Romans 12, 1, right after Paul finishes giving God's people the full gospel, he says, you know, this is everything you know, need to know to move forward in your faith, right? He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, we've talked about all this stuff. We talked about your sin, the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. Let go of your excuses, yield your bodies to the Lord, and be used by God. No one's in your way. You have everything you need to live a godly life. So when we go to work or we go to school or the coffee shop, let me ask you a question. Are we bringing our husband with us? All right? Are we just happy to get out of the house? When we speak to the lost, are we speaking as a couple with Christ or as an individual with our own agenda? What's more, you know, let's just be blunt here. Do the lost even know we have a husband or did we leave the home without the ring on the finger? 
You know, the only time I take the ring off my finger is when I go rock climbing because they say you can strip the flesh off your finger if you get caught. <laughs> that was probably distracting, but it is disgusting. It's, I think it's called being sleeved, which makes it even worse. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that rough, guys? All right, I got to wrap it up here. So, you know, it's hard for anyone to get to know me for longer than five minutes and not know I'm married to Connor because I talk about her, okay? And, uh, you know, I don't go moping and then throw her name in the mix. I love to talk about her. And I tell people about what she does and her talents and, you know, just her ministry. It's amazing. She's a fruitful minister. So when it comes to our relationship with God, no one should have to wonder whether you're a Christian, okay? That verse in the Bible that says, give an answer for the hope that's in you, you realize the context of that is people see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and they know that you've you, you got a relationship. Something's up here. And so they go, where's this hope coming from? Right? That's the context of that verse is that we're supposed to be asked this question. Well, what better opportunity to introduce your husband than when you got a big old smile on your face? Let me tell you about my husband, Jesus, right? But some of us don't want to share Christ because we know our testimony is such that if we shared the gospel with people, people wouldn't see any reason why they should pursue a relationship with God. There's no fruit. They, they don't see any joy. They don't see any peace. They're like, I don't want to get married. It's like when people have a bad idea about marriage because they've seen bad examples. And so like, oh, I don't want to get married. Whew, that's rough. Because they've seen what a bad marriage looks like. If that's the case with you today, it's time to return to God's word. And it's time to be honest with him. It's time to evaluate your service and whether you're being obedient. And, you know, one sign is if the fruit of the spirit isn't present in your life and no one is following you in the faith. No one wants to follow you in the faith. There's no fruit. You know, well, uh, you know, this is disobedience. That's all it really is. But when we walk with him and we, we talk with him and we build up trust and we let him shoulder our burdens, we give him our hearts and we cherish him and receive his love and we decide up front that Jesus Christ is worthy to be right with, fruit will simply be the result of two people being at the same place at the same time with a unified mind and a unified purpose. You know, um, I don't have a lot of time, but I just want to say one of the things that's been blowing my mind in the last couple of years is the reality of the fact that we are literally the body of Christ. And so that's not meant to be figurative. When people encounter you, they're literally supposed to be encountering Jesus Christ. Like his spirit is supposed to be in you. People are supposed to be hearing words that Jesus would say. People are supposed to be seeing behavior that Jesus would exhibit. That's the problem is that if, if people aren't seeing that in the church, they don't want to have any part. And so in conclusion, I'll, I'll ask the worship team to come up and counselors. And, uh, you know, in a relationship, all the pieces play together, right? If we're listening to Jesus and we're responding and we're telling him how we feel, we're responding in prayer and in praise, our fellowship will be evident. We'll get to know him. We'll share our heart with him and we'll know he has our back. And, you know, if we've made up our minds beforehand to honor our husband, the fruit will come. It's just a matter of time, Right? So then there's a progression. So the question we ask ourselves today is, where do I fall in the progression? Am I saved? Have I given the Lord my heart? Maybe you've never given God your heart and believed the gospel. The message of Jesus giving himself unto death over your sins only to rise again proved that he was God and that you can have a right relationship with God simply by placing your trust in him. If that's where you're at today, I want you to know that the God loves you. He's ready to receive you and um, you know, the only thing that's keeping you from God is not me. It's not anything else. So you have to be willing to own up to your own sin and receive Jesus Christ. He loves you. You have to receive his love that way. And some of us are saved, but we think we're special and we've graduated from trusting God's word. And so what began with a simple faith has turned into the monotony of married life. Day in and day out routine. Oh, I get in the Bible. I mope through this. I mope through that passage. I tell God something. And then I go, what do you think is going to come out of that, right? You might be communicating to him a whole bunch of things in your prayers, but you got to be willing to listen to him and hear how he feels. You know, some of us here, you know, we're fruitful ministers, but ironically, our communication with God is poor. We struggle to be honest with him about what we're going through. We rely on earthly relationships to find our comforts and enjoyment, even in ministry. But we don't go to Jesus. We don't learn of him, and we don't let him shoulder the burden of the ministry. We try to do it in the flesh. Or, uh, you know, maybe we're in the Word and our prayer time is lacking. We tell God how we feel, but we never land the plane at the end of that by putting our trust back in, in Him and listening to Him so we can move forward in faith. It's like we read the psalm, but it just ends in despair. 
We never go back and say, oh, you know what, God, you are good. I love you. And finally, uh, some of us are just bad planners. We let life happen to us. We wait for the cross to come up before we ever make up our minds as to whether we're going to obey, right? I mean, Jesus would have done it anyways, but imagine, I mean, it's impossible, but imagine Jesus going up there and he's on the cross. He's like, maybe now I'll pray. Father, is this still what you want? No, he didn't do that. He was a planner. He, he, he had made the choice to give his life to the Lord and to us and for us. And so, you know, some of us, we don't die daily. We just die when we feel like it. We wait until the temptation comes, and then we decide whether we'll cheat on our husband. Oh, the temptation came. Hmm, let me, just, let me think on this. It doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't do that in a marriage relationship. You don't do that in your relationship with God. Now, this doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't fail Jesus in this lifetime. It just means we got to value him enough to purpose in our hearts that we want to obey him. And lastly, and I think I already said lastly, but I'm, I'm being dishonest, apparently. Um, the last, 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 last thing is that this truly is the last thing. I know many of us here uh, have a walk with Christ, and we really are trusting God for fruit. I see that all over the place. I, I don't want to give you guys the impression that I look around in the ministry, and I'm just like, no one has the right relationship with God. Quite the contrary. I think you guys have, I'm so edified by your walks with Jesus, and I see the fruit coming out of your ministries. I think it abounds. But if that's where we're at and we're just trusting God for fruit, maybe all we need to do is get desperate and tell the Lord that's what we're trusting him for. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. You have not because you ask not. And if that's the case, maybe we just need to get on our face and trust the Lord for great things. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I love you guys. That's all I got. I don't know if that was a hard landing, but I love you guys. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.